0: I'm not here to poke holes and suspended disbelief.
1: Anyway, they see some weird shit, they decide to make a baby.
0: Thou murkin merchant. Who gives a fuck? Well, you know, uh, I you really like it here. Uh, it's kind of nice. And uh, it's not as cold as back home and the is a lot better. So yeah, sure, I think we're gonna settle.
1: If I'm a peasant boy who grabs a sword out of a stone. Yeah. I'm able to open people up. You will, yeah. Anytime I hit them with it, right? Yeah. So my cleave landing will make me a cavalier.
0: Good day, sir. If Siskel thought it was empty-headed plebeian trash, it was probably <laughs> really good at groove on it.
1: <laughs> because cannibalism and murder. Pull back just a little bit and build walls to keep out the redheads. And he was told before. A thrill intent doesn't exist. Some people stand up to wipe their butts. Some people stay seated to wipe
2: their butts. Like, it just...
1: a Geek History of Time,
0: where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher here in Northern California. And um, recently, I have uh, seen a a lot of my fellow teachers, uh, most of them in a higher level that I'm operating at, than I'm operating at, um, talking on social media about um, how annoyed they are at seeing chat GPT showing up in, in papers and stuff that they're, that they're having a grade. And I totally thoroughly empathize with that. Um, and I, I get how that's like immensely frustrating, but on the level at which I'm teaching, um, the, the issue that, that I have is is uh, simultaneously, I think, easier to deal with. And on a certain level, I don't want to say more frustrating, but but it, it's frustrating on a, on a different level. Um, this past week, um, I was walking my students again, this is material we're, we're recovering, uh, walking them through how to use text evidence in in their writing and uh you know focusing on okay so you need to give credit to your source the author of name of article tells us that quotation marks put in your quote close your quotation marks use use commas where appropriate close your quotation marks give you know the the page number that you took this from in parentheses and then put a period Right. And then after you've done that, that's not enough. You need to write another sentence to explain this supports my argument because fill in the blank. Right. And, and they're sixth graders. So this is new for them, you know, at, at this level um, it's not brand new because I went over it with them earlier in the year, but we're going over it again because many of them need the help. And so we're going over this again. And in the process of going through the writing that they turned into me, um, I, I found that a few of them had, had written responses that a didn't actually answer the question I was asking. B did not pull any text out of the article that I had literally written for them to use. Um, as an aside, I think it's some of my best uh, journalistic writing ever um, there that they, we've been reading uh, a translation or excerpts from a translation of the Odyssey. And uh, I wrote a, a, a news article entitled um, local ruler returns kills intruding suitors, Um, you know, for them, for them to write about. And uh, they, they didn't actually cite anything from it. And after I'd seen the same phrasing used more than once, um, you know, my Spidey senses started tingling. So I, I typed the phrases that they used into Google and, and they had not only gone to literally the first source that they could, that comes up when you, when you search for a particular term on Google but they just, they just copied it word for word, plugged it into what they were writing and then kept walking in an assignment that was literally about quoting from a source. And I don't know if the commission of plagiarism is the worst part, or if the worst part is the sheer laziness of the plagiarism that they committed. Like, like plagiarism, plagiarism is going to happen. You know, students are going to steal shit and not give credit for it. Like that, that happens and it's, it's, it sucks. And it makes me mad, but like you couldn't even try a little bit harder. Like you couldn't find a quote that actually answers my question. Like anyway, so, so that's, that's part of the reason that um Friday night I had a very large margarita with dinner. Um, <laughs> Because it was that kind of week all over. How about you?
1: Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin and U.S. history teacher up here in uh, Northern California at the high school level. Um, I have run into the same kind of thing with ChatGPT. I have tried to do all I could to get ahead of the curve on that. Mm -hmm. uh, And I've been fairly successful. Uh, I had to modify my policy on essay writing so that if your essay appears as though... It has come from any kind of essay generation that is Chat GPT, that is AI, that is uh, Paper Saver or P- uh, Course Hero or uh, any other number of things, um, then uh, you will be required to make an appointment with me to defend said paper up to and including answering questions about content, word choice, uh, et cetera, et cetera.
2: OK, that's um, wow.
0: Yeah, yeah, I like
1: it. And uh, I actually had a kid come in and I said, "Okay, um, here's the deal. I'm going to read you your paper and then I'm going to read you what I generated today before you came in. I read the two of them. I said, do you see how those sound remarkably familiar? And he says, yeah. I said. Do I need to ask any further questions or are you going to admit to this? He's like, yeah, I did. I said, "Okay, cool. Now, you're getting zero for that, but. We already have ChatGPT open. Why not use it the way it's intended? And I showed him how to generate an outline, a shopping list of what he needs to do for the next essay so that he could actually use it the way it's intended. You know, it is yeah. a good tool. It's a lot like how I always say Cliff Notes is actually fantastic as a pre-reading tool. Yeah. It is not supposed to replace the book you're supposed to read. Yeah. Chat GPT is a great place to organize yourself, organize your thoughts in a way that you're like, okay, now I know my first couple steps until you're able to do it yourself. But uh yeah, it it enabled me to show him, like kind of give this restorative thing where I show mm-hmm. him here's here's the bad way to use it, and that's what cost you all the points this time. But here's a good way to use it, and notice how this is helping you get going. Mm-hmm. Now get out there and and win one for the Gipper so
0: go I've, and I've had, sin no more
1: yes so i've Long i've had um you know those kinds of interactions with it okay um yeah. today i uh um i historically get lost everywhere i go okay to the point where i used to build it into my uh my calendar uh my <laughs> schedule of things um <laughs> So I had to get a tire replaced, um, which meant oh. that when my kids normally would get dropped off with me, I had to let their mother know, hey, you can either drop them off a couple hours later with me or you could drop them off with me at this tire place. She said, OK, let me think about it. She got back to me. She's like, actually, we're going to go look at mattresses um, for for our daughter. So uh, why don't you meet us at that mattress store afterwards? OK, cool. And then uh, I say, okay, I'm finishing up here. Uh, Are you at the mattress place? Yes, we are. I said, great. Do you know where that is? And she says, I think you could see it from where you are. Oh, okay, cool. So then I just typed in the name of the mattress place into the navigation software Mm because, you know, it didn't occur to me to just look around. Um, And so (laughs) I got in the car, drove right past it, got lost down by a furniture store um you know all over hell's half acre worked my uh-huh. way back and then i i'm like i can't find this damn thing and then i looked up i'm like oh oh shit that's <laughs> that's that's it right there and so i pulled around i parked and looked at my rearview mirror and then i looked behind me and i'm like i could see the parking spot that i pulled out of from where i am <laughs> god damn it i could have just walked over and so i i walked in and uh i i told my kids and and my daughter says yeah i saw you going by and we were all wondering and then everybody just kind of realized it's you so, <laughs>
0: so. ow yeah well. <laughs> like i can't argue but Ow. yeah yeah. <laughs> so, yeah so yeah so just just out of just out of curiosity mm-hmm. did this did this happen to be anywhere near the ikea there in in mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. okay i know i know exactly the mattress place and yeah, I think now i, know I the do tire too place yeah. yeah and and i think i know the tire place yeah
1: yes you do yeah
0: and, right. and, and yeah there we go i now yeah. know
1: both are in yeah. that close a proximity to each other
2: <laughs> wow oh, yeah. yeah so That's anyway funny
1: so yeah. uh, when last we spoke, <laughs> yes. uh, you were getting into the 90s, which is something yes. that we could drop me saying that into 30%.
0: Just about anywhere. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah only because least, when last we yeah. spoke implies that it's a part two.
0: Uh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah.
1: But you yeah. were just getting into the 90s about cyberpunk. Yeah. Specifically. Yes,
0: I was. Um, and so in the 90s, um, we now wind up, we see, I'm, I'm going to say kind of a new generation of, of, um, works, mm-hmm. maybe not a new generation of authors in some cases, new generation of authors, but definitely a new generation of works in, in the cyberpunk genre. And, uh, Neil Stevenson is another name that's huge in, in cyberpunk and, uh, the work he is, he is best known for, uh, in the genre is snow crash. Hmm um from 1993 um and there's a man there's a there's a whole lot of stuff to talk about and this is a book full of really big ideas but um i think most notably for looking at the development of the genre Mm -hmm. um he envisions uh number one his setting is similar to gibson's sprawl but it looks a lot more on the page it, it looks less like everything has been built up vertically and you can hardly see the sun because of all the the concrete and neon. It looks a lot more like everything in the world or everything in his world that he, that we're, that we're experiencing has turned into the Los Angeles basin. Everything okay. is, it's, it's, it's much more, it's much, it's much wider. It's much more mm-hmm. spread out. Mm-hmm. But it is, but it is, uh, balkanized in, in this, in this very unique way within the genre. He envisions that, uh, corporate interests gain enough power, enough influence that they become, uh, entities of authority in their own right, they become semi states or quasi states. Mm -hmm. And so who you work for and where you live essentially gives you citizenship with a particular corporation. And uh, like one of the, like the, the kind of example that you're, that you're, that you have dropped on you right at the very beginning of the book is uh, the mafia uh, in, in his setting has, has taken over, uh, has has monopolized the pizza delivery business and the main character is a uh, professional pizza delivery driver oh boy. uh who drives a, a souped up muscle car mm-hmm. um and he talks about how he has to navigate moving from one corporate controlled zone into another one
2: mm-hmm
0: <laughs> And, and one of the things he, he winds up very nearly, uh, getting himself, you know, uh, well he does wind up getting fired, but he he winds up nearly causing a catastrophe for the, for the pizza business, uh, because he's, he's running up on the time limit to get this pizza delivered. And, um, he winds up taking a shortcut because he knows he's in a community that is, that is owned by and and is, you know, a a corporate zone of this particular corporation. Mm -hmm. And because he's the best at what he does, he has the road layout for any housing development built by this corporation. They all follow because it's corporate interest. They all follow the same uh, layout. Right. You can find your way. If you can find your way in one, you can find your way in all of them because they're all identical. Sure, sure. And so he takes a shortcut. Only the house he tries to take a short the the backyard of the house he tries to take a shortcut through has been modified and they've put in a swimming pool. So we have this idea of corporate citizenship. We have Mm -hmm. this idea of the homogenization of if you work for this corporation or you live in this corporation's development, little houses made of tiki-tacky and everyone the same. as as a thing um and that's and that's like the first 10 pages of the book okay and then he takes he takes those ideas and like again to to talk about how how this is rooted in the genre the main character whose name is hero h-i-r-o protagonist hero protagonist is the main character's name really oh yeah no 100%, 100% okay. no cap totally okay. yeah so there there are there are elements of what he's writing that are it's very self-aware mm-hmm. and and he knows i'm writing in like wink wink we all know we're in a cyberpunk novel i'm just going to make that clear
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know but but here's how i'm going to play with these conventions and here is here here is a trope you don't know what i'm going to do with this trope but i'm going to hold this trope in front of you Right. And and part of the part of the tension for you as the reader is going to be like, okay, is he going to play this one straight or is he going to fuck with me? What is he going to do? It's an amazing, it's it's an awesome book. Nice. Um the the uh central kind of idea of the book winds up being about language.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh there is a corporate Interest, multi-millionaire, mega-millionaire, who has gotten a hold of a a set of tablets that have to do with the proto, the the, the root language of all languages, and there is this essentially the, the 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 protagonist and his ragtag band of of friends and and co-conspirators uh, have to find a way to stop that tablet from wreaking havoc on the world net Mm -hmm. because what winds up happening is exposure to that thing, um, essentially causes mimetic breakdown and, and you generate snow static in, in the net. And so snow crash means it's going to cause, it's going to cause a global catastrophe
1: very different than what i originally thought that the book was about yes yeah
0: yeah uh yeah you're not alone um but he winds up taking this really big idea about language and about how do we assign meaning to anything and in in and and wrapped around that really deep epistemological core he also talks about uh race and ethnicity because the main character is biracial mm-hmm. um, and uh, the perception people have of the main character. He gets into talking about uh, state authority and, you know, how, how does, how, what, what makes an authority legitimate? Um, he winds up looking into like, he creates the setting in which like everybody has, multiple hustles just in order to keep a roof over their head. The main character is living in a storage container because that's the only housing he can afford.
1: Oh, okay, and, so and
0: it's and it's illegal, but everybody else is doing it too. All of his neighbors like it's it's a it's a storage place that's full of people.
1: So it's predicting because... it's predicting
0: 2009-2010. Yeah.
1: I mean it, it really kind of reminds yeah. me of like it reminds me of uh when i was telling students about this job that i had and how you need to know your worth and and i i worked for an insurance company and my job was to weigh papers literally they they produced i think like uh, insurance documents and yeah. to see if they were wasting ink or to see if a paper uh, a batch of papers was not formatted correctly. They had me weigh the papers because ink, of course, adds a little bit of weight to it. So if you get enough mm-hmm. papers, it, it weighs it, and and so I'm in a okay dingy, moldy office listening to, uh, you know, a podcast or or something, um, as I'm doing this all day, and it is mind numbing, as you could well imagine. Yeah, I'm sure, and. I was about to go into my credential program, but I was temping because I needed the money. Back then you could temp. Yeah. And uh, I I talked to the kids about like, look, you need to know your worth. Like I was making $13 an hour there um, to weigh papers. And it was probably the easiest and hardest job that I had all at once. But the moment that I knew <clears throat> that they didn't understand that I was a human was when they came to me with a huge batch and they said, you know what? You might need to call your credential program and tell them you need to start later because uh, we just got this big old batch. And I quit the next day and I told my oh, students, yeah. like, you know, this, this yeah. is, these are things yeah. that you will run into. One of my students came back to me the next day and says, uh, where was that? I said, Oh, it's at such and such insurance place down on such and such street. Do you know if they're hiring? Because my mom heard about that and would like that job. And so what you just described to me is like Mm. people's hustle in 2010, 2011. Mm. And about like, you know, you get the, no, man, look, all you got to do is close it up before they go home and you can stay there. And it's only like 50 bucks a month. I mean, that's way better than rent. Yeah. Like, yep. so yeah once again
0: not wrong not wrong yeah so um and then in 1995 the movie strange days comes out Mm -hmm. and that is near future like much cyberpunk but not all sure um and the uh, conceit of strange days is that um Technology has been developed where that allows you to record your sensory experience. So like, think like wearing a GoPro only, it's not just, vis- it's not just watching stuff happen in video. It is mm-hmm. feeling the wind on your face,
2: okay. you know, and, yeah. and,
0: and, and being in the body of whoever is doing it. Right. Sure. And so the main character of the movie played by Liam Neeson is a uh, at least I think it's lame decent Anyway, uh, no, it's Ralph
1: Fiennes,
0: isn't it? No, it's, yeah, you're right. It's Ralph Fiennes. Yeah. Sorry, but, uh, but Ralph, Fiennes, like yeah, Ralph Fiennes, yeah, Ralph Fines plays a former police officer
2: mm-hmm.
0: who is now working as a you know uh, uh, petty grifter selling black market recordings mm. from this device. Okay, and so, like the opening scene is you see a a dude, well, first, you see firsthand mm-hmm. uh a a woman's body in the shower looking down, and mm-hmm. that cuts then to a dude in a suit wearing a headset and running his hands over his own body uh. and and, you know. Ralph Fiennes reaches over and clicks off the, the console that is, that this guy's headset is plugged into. And the guy takes it off and he says, see, there you go. You're a 19 year old girl taking a shower. How much is that tape worth for you? And so that kind of gives you everything you need to know about this conceit and how the main character interacts with it. Like, you know, from the beginning. Right. Well, he winds up getting a hold of a recording that implicates somebody very powerful or doesn't just implicate, it shows somebody very powerful committing a murder. Of course. From the point of view of the victim. And it's a, it's a, a chased semi heist, semi chase thriller movie from there. Mm -hmm. And so again, we're now dealing with memories. What's real. What's not. Who are you? How does, you know, all, all of those questions coming up, we're again dealing with a character who is in a uh semi quasi-legal kind of kind of workspace, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um and we're dealing with the same level of moral ambiguity and nobody's nobody's really a good guy until the main character like finally kind of finds his spine and and says, No, you know, this I gotta I gotta, you know, gets pushed pushed and then decides to do the right thing Mm -hmm. you know and and it's all it's what's funny to me is it got described as um science fiction noir but nobody made the connection to no this this is cyberpunk
1: like which is like it's kind of like if i was like i want to play a sorcerer rogue ranger and they're like you mean a bard (laughs) kind of science fiction noir oh you mean cyberpunk oh you mean cyberpunk yeah yeah
0: um and because again the technology involved is very much the kind of thing it's it's it is a very cyberpunk MacGuffin.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: now it's set you know 10 minutes into the future Right. right so we don't so we don't see you know virtual reality we don't see you know visit the outer colonies we, none of that kind of stuff is going on but it's ethos and it's its central conceit is very much in line with sure what cyberpunk tells us
2: oh wow um,
0: okay and then in 2011 we have the novel and I don't remember when the movie was released but we have ready player one Ernest Klein.
1: um now just real quick okay. uh producer George introduced me introduced me to Ernest Klein's work when he was known as Ernie Klein.
0: um
1: okay. I assume they're the same person because he wrote uh, or he was a comedian who kind of had okay. long-form rants um about uh like Airwolf and all okay. kinds of uh all kinds of um uh what do you call it nostalgia type stuff um okay and and uh he i remember he introduced him to me long before that but i remember when i saw Er ready player one and i saw ernest klein i was like oh wow he's he's an author now too um but yeah, the movie came out, I want to say 2019, maybe 2018. Everything a little bit pre-pandemic is a blur to me.
0: Okay. Yeah. So yeah, from 1997 to 2001, Klein performed his original work at Austin Poetry Slam venues. So yeah, probably same dude. Yeah. His most popular spoken word pieces include Dance Monkey's Dance. Yep, Dance Monkey's. Bo- nerd, yep. nerd Porn tour and When I Was a Kid
1: he also did um uh you you want to date the uh the smart girl uh, okay. because she's just as kinky as you and then she'll help you with your calculus homework um nice and uh, and yeah he does a whole thing about uh airwolf um okay. being the most important piece of technological innovation that our whole society has forever been geared toward and uh okay. of course it was flown by a man named stringfellow hawk Because he plays cello in the mountains. So, of course, it's going to be him. Yeah. And just this whole thing. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: (laughs) I'm going to, now I'm going to have to find that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, but yeah,
1: Ready Player One.
0: Yeah. Ready Player One is, um, is, is very much a cyberpunk work. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how controversial that statement is, but I know that, um, I think, At least I get the sense that the, Hey, look at all the nostalgic shit he's pointing back to winds up overshadowing the rest of like, like all the stuff that's background noise in that story. Again, just like Gibson, just like Gibson. Mm -hmm. There's all this stuff. That's like background assumptions taking place in the story that are, that could potentially be MacGuffins for anybody else's work. Um, the main character is living in a trailer park that has been built out vertically. Right. In Cleveland, Ohio, I want to say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they're called the stacks. Like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Everybody's critique of it was how, um, nostalgia porn it was and how lazy that was. And it's like, eh.
0: there's so much, there's so much other shit going on there. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, I totally grooved on, oh my God, uh, you know, the D and D references and like Gundam and like everything, like visually it was so much fun. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, all of that was amazing. Don't get me wrong, but like he's explicitly talking about the haves versus the have nots. And he's explicitly talking about a corporate giant taking this thing. Like he, he drops an anvil on, Mm-hmm. This was invented by this one eccentric weirdo genius to be the thing that was going to democratize everything.
1: It was supposed to, yeah, and it gets corporatized, and it's and it's
0: been corporatized and yep. fucked over. And hey, look, we're never going to get utopia because people are going to abuse this.
1: And as soon as somebody starts to challenge that, they literally bomb out the uh, yeah the the, the trailer they, park.
0: Yeah, yeah, they 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 try to kill him. Yeah. You know, and and it's all about making money, and and the whole motivation for the antagonists in the movie is we have to be the ones to find you know the golden key, right? Because if we get that, we solidify our control forever, right? You know, no, there's there's not going to be any way for anybody else to free up uh, this the, this universe. You know, right. In, in which in which literally everybody does everything. Like kids are going to school in this environment.
1: Yeah. It it becomes you know, a stand in for it. It's everything that I keep saying at school board meetings of like, don't budget around this thing because then this thing will be all that's left.
2: Yeah. You precisely. Know? And, and yeah, yeah,
1: it becomes a stand in for that. Uh yeah. and, and it becomes a stand in for for life. And and yeah. technology starts to develop. In order to accommodate that. Yes. yeah,
0: And so what we see here with, with Snow Crash and with Ready Player One, uh, and I, I just completely skipped over The Matrix, uh, but I'll get back to it in a minute. And I, I also skipped over The Novel of Altered Carbon, but I'll get back to it. What we see happening in in all of these works is, number one, by this time, well, Snow Crash was, was a little bit before it, but certainly by the time of Ready Player One and by the time of Altered Carbon um, and, and The Matrix, we had now seen the beginnings, the at least the beginnings of what the Internet was going to become. Mm-hmm. And so the assumptions, the technological assumptions that are going on in the background of these works now take that into account. And these works are now responding to, and Ready Player One very obviously is responding to, uh, the explosion of the World Wide Web, right? And and like we saw in real life, this thing that was invented as okay, now academics are all going to be able to talk to each other, and we'll be able to have computers, you know, uh, scientists across the world will be able to collaborate, we'll be able to do all this stuff. And yes, that has all happened, but it's also become a massive ocean of uh, scam artists and porn and advertising and marketing and finding new ways for individuals to use anonymity to beat each other up and be shitty to each other. And like, so Well, there we go.
1: I'm going to quibble a little bit because you grouped all those things together. And those are very, those are all very different things. Um, Scam artists. Yes, you're absolutely right. Um, People being shitty to each other, yes. But the number one driver of creating commerce um, online was Mm. porn. Yeah. It led to a number of innovations. And in the last 15 years, it has enabled a lot of sex workers to uh, do it more safely uh, and on their own terms now uh one could argue that um it's led to greater exploitation that's certainly an expo- that's certainly exploration that that needs to be done but yeah in a lot of ways there are a lot more people doing uh safe sex work thanks to the internet uh that previously had not been able to do and that's that's okay. not yeah. on the same level of scam artists
0: no you're okay so, yes yeah 110 percent. you're right um that was yeah I I and more of that stuff That's is free.
1: More of that stuff is free than has ever been before.
0: That's true. To the point
1: where I think it's it's this weird, and and this is merely intuitive on my part. Maybe I'm just aping my own experience. Mm-hmm. To the point where because it's so free, it's less special and attitude towards, attitudes towards sex and sexuality are I, I mean, we've seen generational things of like Gen Z. Is a lot less sexually active um and than than gen uh whatever came before the millennial generation and, and, yeah, and yeah, gen yeah. X. Um yeah. they're a lot less sexually active at their age. And there have been theories that yeah, that's because they have pocket porn. Um mm. they have they have home erotica and it's like, well, I can take care of myself now, instead of the pressure to go out and you know engage in risky behaviors and, with each other. Yeah. So, or um, go it and doesn't mean it. that doesn't yeah. take them down some really weird ass fucking places. It absolutely yeah. does. But I wonder if the ubiquity of it has made it less of an objectification.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: know it's, it's a weird thing, but you could almost see it kind of doing this recurve.
0: Yeah. Kind of I, thing because I,
1: now none of it's special. Whereas yeah. it used to be that one issue that you have at the bottom of your sock drawer. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's, yeah. You yeah, know, Well, there's what, what you know, pixel do I want to click on? And yeah, there's and there's now, a whole
0: who cares? You know? it yeah. Gets
1: into that, so I don't know.
0: Yeah, there's there's a whole bag of dicks that could be. Exp- I mean, can of worms ah. that could be um could could be gotten into with that? Because yeah. also consent um, culture
1: is a much bigger deal now, and that's that's a that is true in parallel but, with the ubiquity of I mean, like okay. I gave a, a lecture back in 2019 on the Romantic period, and there okay. was a picture of a woman whose bare breast was 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 bare um, in a drawing from the 17 or 1800s. And I had a student, like, you know, I'm giving a lecture, I'm explaining, you know, here's what's being venerated, and da-da-da, and here's a picture. And he, and, you know, she's on a swing, so obviously it's a metaphor for sex, and one yeah. breast, out. and he's like, titties. And I just looked at him. He's a sophomore. He's titty. <laughs> <laughs> of
0: I course he's a sophomore. Yes. Because that remark is by definition sophomoric. There I, you go. But right. I looked I'll-
1: at him and everybody looked at him. I said, okay, I'm going to stop for just a second. Like, you know that it was wrong to shout that out. But I would also like to ask anybody in this room, does anybody not have access to, to pictures of actual breasts on their phone at any time that they want? And despite that, you are still excited by a painting from the 1700s that is not in any way realistic. How where
0: sheltered you are you, boy? I know.
1: And I was like, where <laughs> you have like a pornomatic 3000 <laughs> pocket that you could look up with much better pixelation than the painting that I'm showing you. And you're still uh... out here shouting out titties. <laughs> and
0: like way, way to do it, man. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> veteran That's teacher
1: but but my point was you know there was not a single student in there that was in any way embarrassed by my pointing all that out
0: yeah well yeah
1: they all knew yeah they, they you know everything he's saying is very true yeah and and the result i i don't i don't say i don't want to say the result but at the same time consent matters a hell of a lot more to these kids and it's a lot clearer to these kids than it yeah. was when we were growing up and I wonder okay. if the two things don't correlate. So I,
0: yeah, I think, I yeah, I think there's something to be said for that.
1: And at the same time, they have really stupid fucked up, uh, Instagram pages where they can all collectively go be really shitty to each other and about yeah. each other and make burn pages on teachers and shit like that. That's all there too. Yeah. You know, the, 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 yeah. the, the fire that cooks your food burns your hand.
0: Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's yeah. I, uh, I like that a, I like that metaphor.
1: There was a a teacher who became a comedian and she says, you know, it's really weird. They don't respect you as a person, but they'll respect your pronouns.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can wow.
1: Yeah. Suck.
0: So, yeah. So. That's, anyway. a, that's a really good that's a really good summation.
1: Yeah. But the internet at that time was yeah. just breaking open. Like you yeah. said. Yeah.
0: And, and the assumptions Titties. that are, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, you know, like it, it's really hard to argue that ready player one wasn't a, mm-hmm. a, a response to what we had already started seeing happen in real time with the internet, with the commodification, with the, right uh you know corporatization and the you know everything everywhere has has uh you know built in promotional marketing and and just being constantly bombarded by you know somebody trying to sell you something you know 24/7 365 as long as you're online you can't right. get away from it and and the what's interesting is there is a kind of earnest hopefulness huh, in in Ready Player One, which, like, is the author's name. Mm-hmm. That hopeful Klein. Yeah. the story. Yeah, the story is very cyberpunk, but it also has this. Like, the main character in in that book is is Peter Parker. You know he he is right. Yeah, a, a teenage he's a teenage everyman who has this has this big dream and isn't going to be stopped. And I don't want to say he's a cockeyed optimist, but you know he he kind of keeps going because he doesn't have much choice. But he's also motivated by I'm not going to let these guys right. ruin this thing for everybody. It's not he's not motivated by um you know I'm doing this because they're paying me. Right. It's, it's not it's sheer
2: personal
1: of, gain but at the same time yeah. it's not revolutionary until he meets artemis yeah yeah he has to be Correct. radicalized yeah out of it so I, i'm wondering if it's not pulling like it it's not it doesn't feel cyberpunk because of the optimism that is allowed to grow with him um yeah. but i'm wondering if it's if you couldn't say that it's um it is set within a cyberpunk aesthetic.
0: Well, it's set within a cyberpunk aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh the main character is um it's 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 intensely anti-authority.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, because you know, the bad guys oh, are a yeah. giant corporation out Absolutely to take them over the world. Um it asks epistemological questions but they're not so much about humanity but they are they are about identity because what we find out about like oh yeah all of his, all of his interactions with his best friend have have looked and sounded one way and then right. he meets the best friend IRL and that's not who this person actually turns out to be
1: now are you talking in the movie or are you talking in the uh, in the book cuz in the book uh well the movie kind of combines uh, his yeah, best friend and uh, the love interest.
0: Yes, I'm. I'm talking mostly. Interested. I'm talking mostly about the book.
1: Okay, because in the book, about the book, if I recall correctly, Artemis is th- the way that she is described is actually much closer to the way H is is depicted on screen. Mm-hmm. She's, she's uh, larger. I believe she is a dark skinned woman. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a larger person, and um, she is not anything like uh her her avatar. Yeah. Whereas in the movie there, it's largely her avatar is her, but she has yeah. like, you know, it's, they gave her glasses and a ponytail, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like so, okay, we got it. We got a gotta... friend
1: is depicted yes. you know, in the, in the movie.
0: Yeah. So. so like there, there is, there is this question of what, what is, what is the real identity? Are you your more real version yeah. of yourself? online or are you more mm-hmm. or is is you the person you are when you take the headset off like you know right.
1: and she scolds him for a while for buying into this artificialized version. yeah
0: oh yeah yeah, yeah. um so let's see uh this is epi- identity is the epistemological question mm-hmm. um the moral ambiguity for the main character is not as much there uh, True. the main character is not, is not an anti-hero. Um, but again, distrust of authority and again, deeply dystopian. Like mm-hmm. the world has not gotten better
2: in no. the future. The, no. the
0: world, the world is still pretty sad sack crappy. Um, and so, I mean, I, I'd, I'd argue we've got, you know, three out of four, and yep. the the moral ambiguity not being there makes it feel less noir, which inherently makes it maybe feel less cyberpunk. But I'm still going to argue it belongs in the genre. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: So you can I, come I, at I, me. Come at me online. Yeah. Like, the the, the only quibble I would about. have
1: is that the significance of hope and the willingness to change from what you were originally going after to what you, you what you end up going after. Yeah. Um, because the message of, Oh God, it's like the Zephyr Cochran of that, of that story. I forget his name now. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the, the willingness, uh, that guy's optimism as well. And that guy's Mm -hmm. like, I believed in you this whole time kind of aspect. Yeah that's that seems to have stripped away the cyberpunkness the three stool the three stool legs that you talked about last time yeah yeah um it 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 really takes away from yeah. those and and i don't mind taking a genre and bending it and going yeah in a different direction but i i do and i'm not a purist yeah. um but i do think that it it takes significant steps away from it in the same way that i would not say that star wars is sci-fi Mm-hmm. I would not say that Ready Player One is Cyberpunk, despite you know, despite having okay. some kind of overlaps.
0: Okay. I I see that argument. I I my own kind of counter-argument is I think what we see with Ready Player One
2: mm-hmm.
0: in particular is a a response or an inversion of some of the tropes in it. And I think it's a generational evolution, I think Fair Klein point. Mm-hmm. Klein is yes, Klein is Klein is going with okay, yeah, we're we're not ever going we're, we're not going to get to Utopia. We're not going to, you know all, all of that stuff that we were promised. I totally agree with you, Bill. we're not going to get that. but what do we do with that? And I think his argument is we keep we keep reaching for it. We keep we keep striving. We don't we don't give up. Mm-hmm. I think it's a defiant statement in the face of catastrophe. It's it's yeah. it's hope as as an act of rebellion revolution.
1: It's it's what we've when we talked about Jim Henson, it's hope punk.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes. I, I don't disagree there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, and I, I convened, like, in getting to Ready Player One, mm-hmm. um, I skipped over The Matrix, which Oops. was dumb of me. Um, <laughs> uh, Matrix came out in 1999 and um, immediately became the favorite movie of every self-important philosophy major, like, on the planet.
1: Because it barely touches on cartesian models of the universe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, we have we're not going to get to utopia. Um, we have we're not even we're not capable of handling a utopia. The machines literally Mm -hmm. tell neo like no the the first generation we (laughs) built you we built you a utopia and you committed mass suicide because you couldn't fucking handle it right you know like (laughs) the the level of oh my god humanity sucks that's involved in the commentary in the matrix can't believe you all are this stupid yeah it's 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 bleak um and it i mean the, the central conceit is not only that the technology exists in that world for our brains to be hooked into computers but that no no we are already all hooked into one right and we don't know it and it takes some kind of action you know outside of of daily our our perceived daily existence to make us notice it mm-hmm and and then we have to make the choice of whether we're going to continue as we are or if we're going to, you know, move on and and move into the higher level of reality.
1: Yeah. Seek authenticity.
0: Seek authenticity. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, and,
1: and the most important people, the only ones who are capable of doing this again, you go back to the importance of hackers. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes and the it's again inherently anti-authoritarian right or anti-authority period yep, yep. um it is um the the day-to-day existence of neo and, and all and and everybody else that that are you know on the side of the protagonist their very existence is criminal
1: right <laughs>
0: you know? they they don't even have a choice about like you know whether they're whether their hustle is quasi legal the very fact that they know what they know mm-hmm. is illegal and punishable by death if they get caught by the agents it asks really potent questions I, I don't know if i want to go so far as to say deep ones but they're definitely potent ones about um the soul and mm-hmm. uh Identity and and reality and you know because the big yeah yeah life is a huge it's it's like yeah it's it's ninety percent of the core idea of the movie.
1: He said, "You know, I used to eat there. Really, they had really good noodles." And you know, but that none of that's real. Mm -hmm. And she asks him, "What does that tell you? That nothing that the Matrix cannot tell me what's real?" Like that's that's the the core of it, you know.
0: Yeah yeah um and again morally moral ambiguity ambiguity like neo it at at the start neo is not really he's he's clearly doing underground hacker shit uh Mm -hmm. and his day job and his day job is colorless and soulless right and and sucks and all of the excitement in his life yeah and all of the excitement in his life is is what happens outside of that Mm -hmm. um so you know and again it is a it is an evolution of the the concepts out of the earlier days of the genre it's not Mm -hmm. just that okay we're going to have the net it is no no we're all existing in the net And we just don't know it. And what does that mean? How do we deal with that? What do we do? And of course, now that we know, and the Wachowskis know what we all collectively know about the Wachowskis. You know, the, the issues of identity and, you know, reality of person and Mm -hmm. avatar versus physical body and like all of that stuff. Uh, takes on takes on a whole new level of meaning right and you know this this is this is a place where queer coded questions of identity become a meaningful thing Mm -hmm. uh, within within the context of the genre of cyberpunk it is it is an evolution of taking the ideas and bringing a new lens to bear on looking at them
2: Mm mm-hmm
0: Um, and so then altered carbon, the novel comes out in 2002 and I didn't get into the details of what the, what the conceits are there, but in altered carbon, uh, it's a farther future setting. Humanity is, is spread out to multiple different planets and, uh, the main and everybody in the world at a certain age after birth, very, very young has an implant called a stack placed at the base of your spinal column Mm -hmm. and the through some, you know, sci-fi magical voodoo, your stack, if something happens to you Mm -hmm. and you are killed, your consciousness. Now this is, this is important, not just your memories, but your consciousness gets transferred into the stack Okay and the stat can be taken out of your corpse
2: mm-hmm.
0: and put into another body. So so the author very clearly, uh, uh, Morgan very clearly states, consciousness as a way of getting around the whole ship of Theseus question, like, is this really you, if it's just your memories going into a new body? No, no, it is your consciousness. It is, it is you, right? Right. But you get put into a new body, and... There is the question of how long does it take for them to find another body to put you in? What happens to the person whose body you've been put in? Mm. One of the punishments, essentially the effectively the equivalent of the death penalty in this universe is you, you get uh, your, your stat gets removed from your body and your body gets handed to somebody else. The main character is a uh, former soldier, revolutionary terrorist, is, kind of blurs lines in a lot of ways, uh, who wakes up in a new body. He has been placed in a new body by a incredibly wealthy benefactor uh, who wants him to solve uh, that wealthy benefactor's murder. Okay. And, and the main character goes, well, okay, you're talking to me. So obviously they didn't destroy your stack, so you weren't really murdered. So why don't you just get them? And he says, "Well, uh, when when I was ki- there's there's a thing about you know when when he was killed, a weapon was used that scrambled his his recollection, so he does not remember. I want to say it's like the twenty four hours before he was killed. Gotcha." Um, and it's also kind of mentioned in passing that he's the, the benefactor is wealthy enough that he keeps cloned bodies of himself on ice, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, figuratively, you know, right. in hibernation so that if anything happens to him, he, he has his own body. He gets to go back to, and that's like cloning is incredibly expensive. And that's a sign of just how Tessie Ashpool, yeah. you know, uh, upper 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 crust. This guy is, and the the you know one one of the one of the things that kind of happens in the background, and it's it's gut wrenching to watch in the in the in the Netflix series, is as the main character is being taken out of the facility where he's been you know revived. Um, a a couple of parents. You you see you see this couple greeting this 50 something year old woman who comes Mm. shuffling out, being escorted by, by a couple of orderlies and these, and these two, these two people in their, in their thirties, you know, rush up to this, to this woman in their fifties and, and they say a name and this woman who is older than these two people looks at them and goes, mommy, daddy, what happened? And it's like, Oh, Oh, well oh boy fuck yeah i mean so so the main character is intensely morally ambiguous um the the setting is intensely dystopian uh the overarching interplanetary government is um is very harsh and corporatist at best um and the main character, it and it's it's way noir. the The main character is trying to navigate all kinds of intrigue within the upper crust of society as he's working as this, you know, uh, uh you know, quasi legal private investigator kind of kind of guy. And you get Maybe. flashbacks to his experiences before he was killed. And you know, it turns out he's been his his stack has been sitting in storage for years. Mm -hmm. before he got before he got resurrected um and then one of the supporting characters who kind of becomes his sidekick is an artificial intelligence who is programmed to sound and act like edgar Allan poe and is the manager slash desk clerk of a themed hotel and 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 is edgar like for all intents and purposes, like he's Edgar. And and so again, dealing with an AI, is the AI does the right. AI count as equivalent to human the main character who looks in the mirror and sees a white guy looking back at him when he is Asian? Or mm-hmm. you know, in his own his identity is that like right, you know right. what what is what does that do to his identity? What what does that mean for for him? navigating the world and so again it's an evolution of these ideas into a more modern set of lenses a more modern kind of kind of outlook on these same issues and then um blade runner 2049 came Mm -hmm. out in 2017 and I'm about to talk about that in in some detail as, as part of the part of talking about the evolution of, of the genre. But I also want to mention, in 1988, Mike Pondsmith publishes the Cyberpunk role-playing, the first edition of the Cyberpunk role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few years after that, Cyberpunk 2.0, 2. mm-hmm. 2020 came out. And then the recent AAA-rated video game, Cyberpunk 2077, is based in that same universe okay so now you wanted to talk about and i am i am eager yeah. to do it in the 90s marvel had their uh future setting 20 the 29 the spider-man 2099
1: right setting spider-man 2099 punisher 2099 doom 2099 um there was a lot of 2099 stuff going on um, I think yeah. they even had an X-Men and an Iron Man and an Avengers like th- there were a lot yeah. of 29 shit. It became a whole thing and it was basically Stanley was like what if you could like do it 100 years from now. Yeah. And kind of you know let people run with it. Um but the one that that stuck out to me was called Ravage 2099. And what's wild about it is that I I have the unlimited app, uh the 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 Marvel Unlimited app. Um right. You don't get all the comics that ever existed because they haven't digitized all of them. They've done okay. a really good job of grabbing most of them, but this one Ravage 2099 not one of the ones that's on there. Okay. But there's a second run that's on there. So, okay. So when when 2099 first came out, I was like, okay, I I'll check out the the Spider-Man 2099 and and Doom 2099 was being advertised. And I was like, yeah, he's a bad guy. I don't know. Um, and Punisher 2099, I was, you know, I was already kind of done with Punisher by the time that came out. But okay. in... Oh, Lordy, I want to say it was 1991, 1992. <clears throat> Ravage 2099 issue number one came out. Um, and uh, I grabbed that one. And mm-hmm. it was... Um, I believe Tom DeFalco was an artist on it. Um okay. it, was, it was Paul Ryan uh helped uh create it, not the uh the shitbird who was in the uh the, the <laughs> house of reps. Yeah. Um, but uh he basically he goes to Stan Lee and he's like, you know, let's let's um let's do another series, uh Ravage 29, and and Stan was like, Yeah, sure, give it a shot. And it's essentially you're following this character named Paul Philip Ravage, and he's the uh, the chief uh, executive officer. He's like a um, security guy um, of Eco Central, which is run by Alchemax, a megacorp. Um, and Eco Central is supposed to yeah. fight pollution. And okay, early in I think the first issue he himself um is made into a fugitive because i think he was helping somebody file a claim that ecocentral was was actually polluting and pollution is a big fucking deal there it's it's i think i want to say is a capital crime and because him helping this and he's Somebody comes up to him and he's he's like top level. So go away, kid, you bother me kind of thing. He's not a good person. And um, he and he's really good at fighting and some kid kind of comes up to him who works for them. He's like, hey, I I found these irregularities. And I think that there's somebody um, who um, who who's up higher, who's who's actually polluting. And he's like, okay, fine, we'll go through the paperwork, we'll do it, and I'll make sure I do a good job on it. But he's kind of putting the kid off. I don't remember the kid's name. And the person that he files it with is like, oh, shit, I could I could be troubled with this. So he frames Paul Philip Ravage um, for the okay. crime of pollution, and he is immediately like burned, um, like burn noticed, you know and okay. so he is a fugitive now he has a cybernetic enhancement that allows his arm to turn into a blaster if i recall correctly um okay. and he goes on the run and one of the things i love about him going on the run is is that he he his his escape vehicle is an old tiny trash compacting truck big old fucking big rig type truck okay and all the other um uh, cars are made of plastic, uh, recycled plastic, and and they're just very very weak. Um, and uh, excuse me one second. Pardon me. Um, he uh he ends up on the run, and I I want to say he's got his arm, and he converts mm-hmm. a cog into a a throwing star, and he's wearing like the ultimate Kevlar vest. And he's got his ability to fight, and so now all the people he's trained are hunting him down, and he ends up, um, if I recall correctly, he ends up on an island like a garbage island of mutated people, and he ends up, um, he ends up mutating while he's on there. And that's what gives him most of his powers. But that takes like four issues. And I was wow. interested in it because he was a redheaded guy with long hair at a time where I was a redheaded guy with long hair. And I liked right, the fair. idea of like, oh, you worked, you worked for this corporation. You were a bad guy. And now you're brought low and your real heroism comes out. And I think he's like trying to save a woman named Tiana or something. And yeah. Okay. He he absolutely uh, trusted his superior who ends up framing him Um, Mm -hmm. and he ends up on this island that mutates him. And so he goes from just having energy blasts out of his hands um, that I think he he mentioned that he was like surgically enhanced. Um, And then he ends up. uh, With like essentially like a wolverine suite of abilities okay um, including like claws yeah. uh and so and and, so and like I, ravage
0: I, that was kind of bound to happen yes like, yeah right okay
1: and i remember there's something in there about like the corporations are running congress in 2099 and I lost interest pretty quickly in the 2099 series, I think because other books had taken a hiatus. and They'd come back and my allowance hadn't grown. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it was just like too much of an urban hellscape for me. So like okay. after yeah. about the fourth episode yeah. or the fourth issue, I lost interest in it. But everything okay. that you talked about in the last issue or in the last episode um, and in this one kind of all points to that happening in 92 and 91
0: yeah hmm. so yeah 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 for sure um and you know you mentioned alchemax i'm pretty sure that was the corporation that um the alter ego of spider-man 2099 worked for yes alchemax winds up being like you know the kingpin kind of yeah. big
1: bad Absolutely,
0: in in the twenty ninety nine universe, which is which is very you know the idea of of a corporation being the big bad, Mm -hmm. um, is you know straight out of the I mean it's it's yeah cornerstone genre. Um, I want to say
1: that in in I remember going back and reading about it, and I think Doom poured molten adamantium on the whole island, which included Ravage, and then launched it into space.
0: Yeah, um, that series did get pretty over the top pretty fast. Like the yeah. that, that, that setting, the yeah. twenty ninety nine whole milieu got mm-hmm. like crazy, but it was the nineties, and that's part of part of that is also the ethos of the time being. You know, extreme right. everything, exactly. exactly. Uh, <laughs> and I I think that's part of the reason I lost interest in it. Was just like, why why do we have to be making everything edgy for the sake of being edgy? Like, right. can we? And and just the the movement toward uh like really really doubling down on the idea of, of cynicism and, and moral ambiguity and antiheroes in comics was just like not oh, yeah. something I was into. Like um, if you look if, at, I'm pick up at,
1: Oh, I was gonna say if you if look it, at Punisher twenty ninety nine, like there is no pretense of him being a hero. He is a fascist dictator. <laughs> ruling completely yeah. by violence, like his—the skull is made up two giant guns. Yeah, like yeah, yeah.
0: No, it's crazy. And, but you're and saying, if you're like, gonna pick if, up... if I'm going to pick up a three color comic book, that that's not that's not what I want to do. Like, right. if I if I want the cynicism and the and the you know we're never going to get utopia of cyberpunk, I'm I'm going. There's other media in which I'm going to go look for that.
1: Right, and and you know? no shade to people who want to enjoy that in their comics
0: yeah yeah no certainly yeah. but like for me that was just not it was not my thing um, and so yeah the the 2099 series I, I, I think I read like the first two issues of Spider-Man 2099 and it just got too too grim for me <laughs> yeah
1: I, I that was <laughs> and, the and same I, reaction I, I had
0: yeah you know, yeah so yeah. you know in, in the last few episodes that I wrote um, we looked at why a particular kind of fantasy film exploded onto the scene in the early 80s and then faded away and then came back in a very different kind of way in the 2010s, right? Right. Here we have a different situation. Cyberpunk never went away. Okay. It's It's been here. It hasn't always been front and center in the popular consciousness, but it has never completely dropped out of sight either. And so... 2017 we have blade runner 2049 right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. example as an example of the genre it's dystopian the environment is still fucked uh thoroughly this time there's no reference to the sunlit drive at the end of the first movie right um there's a reference to a nuclear incident in las vegas the scenes in vegas are apocalyptic it's it's visually amazing Mm -hmm. Um, and, and has this really heavy, hyper, real surreal kind of feeling to it. It's, it's Mm -hmm. stunning. Um, anti-authority, the Wallace corporation, uh, the heir of the Tyrell corporation for the first movie is not merely amoral like Tyrell was Wallace is crazy fucking evil. Niander Wallace has multiple moments in the film where he inflicts violence or has violence inflicted on his behalf, specifically to reinforce or signal his own power. Um like one of the one of the most chilling parts of it, and like this is this is why Jared Leto is probably the best person to play this role, because mm-hmm. he's bug nuts. Yes. Um uh he he has this moment where a replicant is, is decanted in front of him, like slides oh, out no. of, out of this kind of film cocoon kind of thing out of the ceiling and and falls uh-huh. to the floor and is lying there, you know, shivering in the, in the moments right after she, it's a, it's a female replicant. Very important is born and he, he walks forward and he, and he coax her up and he, and he's talking to her. And he expounds as he's doing this, he, he talks about how slavery is a necessary evil for human advancement. Every great moment in the advancement of humanity has involved slavery, the building of the pyramids, and he talks about a couple of other examples. And he laments that you know we should we should own the stars, but I can't create enough. Uh, I, I can't create enough workers uh, and I, I need them to reproduce on their own. And then there's this moment where he places his, his hand over the female replicants, lower abdomen mm-hmm. and then guts her like a fish stabs her wow, in, in the abdomen. And, oh. and she falls to the floor trembling and there's like, he, he holds, he brings up his hands in front of the camera. He's blind. So he's not looking at him, but you know, he, his hands come up in front of the camera. He's covered in blood and, and he is utterly unaffected by the murder he just committed. Like it's, 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 a because it's not a real person. It's a, D- D- yeah. a replicant. Yeah. yeah. And, and because in his own head, he's God. So like, you know, and, and with everything we know about Jared Leto, <laughs> all the things that, you know, that. Anyway, yeah, it's like perfect casting for the character. But anyway, um, so Nyander Wallace is not just amoral. He is evil.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Um, Oh, I have the quote. Every leap of civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce. We lost our stomach for slaves unless engineered, but I can only make so many.
1: Talk about um, like headbutting the point. Yeah. <laughs> and driving it away. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You almost had it.
0: But you almost had it. You or or had it.
1: honestly, let's let's be real. You, you write this character. Yeah. He's supposed to be the bad guy. Like yeah. oh we all God. see that he's a bad guy. Yeah. It's it's Gordon Gecko.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, 110%. You know? Yeah. 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 Um the note I have next, Tyrell played God. Wallace believes he is a God. Like nice. Um, and there's a replicant Resistance Underground. Uh to whom Deckard has handed his daughter just after her birth for her own protection. And, and the main character Kay runs into them and there's, there's a whole subplot where like, am I working with, I don't know if I'm working with them or against them or what exactly is going on. Uh, Moral ambiguity, the protagonist Kay is a replicant whose job is to hunt other replicants at the start of the movie he has absolutely no compunctions about his job uh the first retirement air quotes that we see on screen is brutal violent and difficult to watch um it is a knockdown drag out slugfest between him and dave bautista Mm -hmm. um he k winds up walking away but you know, it, it's, it's, it's brutal. Right. And uh, Kay walks away from it more bothered by the evidence he found at the scene than by the killing he committed. The movie is made in a way that we as the audience are not unaffected by it. Okay. So we're, we're immediately looking at the main character like, man, I don't know. Right. Um, as the film goes on, K loses this level of detachment. Uh, the initial mission he gets given is to kill Deckard and Rachel's child because to his superiors, she represents a threat to peace between humans and replicants. Like if, if, if this, if this individual is found, this completely changes the paradigm of the interrelationship between humanity and replicants. This is proof of, of replicants, you know, being able to reproduce like humans do, and mm-hmm. this is potentially explosive in a whole bunch of different ways, like it's better that nobody ever finds out this ever happened. You got to eliminate right. You got eliminate this individual. Mm-hmm. The resistance call on Kay to kill Deckard because he's a he's a threat to the safety of his daughter, who to them represents the future of replicant kind, okay. At the end of the film, Kay makes the decision not to kill the daughter or Deckard, instead staging Deckard's death to protect him from the resistance and reuniting him with his daughter, who everybody thinks is fully human. They don't understand she's you know, part replicant. And she works as a memory fabricator for replicants. She is an artist who generates the memories that replicants have of their childhoods, which then brings us to the epistemological questions for about half the movie. Kay thinks it's possible that he's actually Deckard's son and thus half human. Okay. This is because Deckard's daughter plugged some of her own memories into replicants, Mm. which is a carryover from Rachel's experience in the first film. Remember that she had, Memories that belonged to Terrell's niece, right? And it's a reversal of Rachel's own revelation. Rachel thought she was human and found out she was not. Kay at the beginning of the film knows he's a replicant and then finds out, hey, wait, maybe I'm not, which then winds up getting reversed. He finds out, no, you're you're not. you're not actually the chosen one. You're not that special. But anyway, then Kay, a replicant, mm-hmm. has an apartment, has his own living space, and he has an artificial intelligence girlfriend named Joy, who who he he purchased as a as a program, as like a chat bot, basically. Mm-hmm. But over time, Joy has grown into a far more complex, organic seeming personality than she started as. And she appears to genuinely love Kay. when he heads off on, on his, you know, uh, running off into the wilderness to try to figure out what's going on. She urges him to download her into a storage device so she can go with him. Mm -hmm. This is when he's going to Vegas to find Deckard. And it's joy who first points out that Kay's memories seem like ones a human would have rather than a replicant. But then in Vegas, um, uh, not Terrell Wallace's enforcer, who is a a replicant named Love L U um, V. Love uh, intercepts uh, K after he's after he's found Deckard. Uh, and she destroys the the storage device that Joy is on. She stomps on it in front of him with gratuitous cruelty, right, um effectively murdering her right. And after she has done that, Kay encounters, again, a you know, multi-story tall, shimmering electronic billboard, holographic billboard ad. Or the joy brand AI companion, which spots him because Mm -hmm. it's been programmed to, you know, see individuals who were, who were looking at the targeted
1: advertisement.
0: yeah, Yeah. bends down looks at him and vacantly with like nothing going on behind the eyes, uh, calls him by the same nickname that his joy had called him by. Which then leaves us with the question of whether or not she was ever real. So Wallace alludes to the question of Deckard's humanity from the first film. Remember, there was this, you know, question, is he a replicant? Is he not? Wallace offers him a clone of Rachel in exchange for information about the daughter's location. And so the the the, the clone, the clone of Rachel shows up. He has it brought out in front of him. And Iander Wallace says, Is it the same now as then? Mm-hmm. The moment you met her, all these years? drunk on the memory of its perfection, how shiny her lips, how instant your connection. Did it never occur to you that this is why you were summoned in the first place? Designed to do nothing short of fall for her then and there, all to make that single perfect specimen. That is, if you were designed, love or mathematical precision? Yes? No? And Deckard responds, I know what's real. And after Deckard refuses to tell him anything, Wallace has the Rachel clone murdered in front of him. She's not the real Rachel, but she is a living being. There's a couple of lines of dialogue that, that the Rachel clone has. And the Mm -hmm. suddenness of her death is a gut punch. Okay. So 2049 has everything. This is, this is 110% cyberpunk film. The reason cyberpunk reason a movie like uh 2049 does as well as it di- did in 2017 mm-hmm. is that we have been descending into a cyberpunk dystopia from the moment gibson codified the genre yeah I
1: can we, see that. we
0: we <laughs> are living in it okay um the the all all of the elements have been mm-hmm. have been falling into place around us, and what was already there at the beginning has been getting getting more pronounced. Um, Supply side economics, Reagan's favorite economic policy, has become gospel to the American right, right, and it's been normalized despite the overwhelming majority of economists knowing and saying repeatedly over and over that it's absolute bullshit. Wages have stagnated since Reagan while costs have gone up. Corporate mm-hmm. profits have skyrocketed along with CEO pay. Um, as as you pointed out when we did the last episode when we talked about bullshit jobs, our productivity has gone up massively, but workers aren't getting paid anymore for it.
1: Right. Or, or um, working less.
0: Or working any less. Right. Right. According to the Pew Research Center in 1970, middle-income households held 62% of the U.S.'s aggregate income, upper-income households held 29%. By 2018, middle-income households only held 43%, while the share held by upper-income households had risen to 48%. Jesus. The rich have gotten substantially richer, and the middle class is shrinking rapidly. Mm Mm-hmm. According to Statista, in the fourth quarter of 2022, 68% of the nation's wealth was held by the richest 10%. But that's not the kicker. That's not the kicker. The kicker is 31%, almost one thir- effectively one-third
2: mm-hmm.
0: of the whole wealth of the United States was held by the top 1% of the population alone. The Tessier-Ashpool family of Neuromancer was a premonition of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. What yeah. is Elon What is Elon Musk spending all of his money on? How did Jeff Bezos try to prove to us all that his dick still worked after he got divorced? Right. Space, space shit right yeah <laughs> and, and like, where do the tessier Ashpools choose to live out their their waking hours when they're not in cryo hibernation on a fucking space station right like so of course this is still relevant like yeah so
1: there's there's an aspect of it of like in addition to utopia is impossible because yeah. <laughs> people are going to squeeze everything out of it for themselves. They're then going to use those squeezings to fuel their rockets to get off this planet mm-hmm. and go colonize somewhere else and leave us all to die.
0: Yeah, and and advocate that well, you know, the best way to 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 make this available to you know the common plebs is just let us build you know factory towns right on Mars, right. And and reintroduce indentured servitude, like the, dude, like you don't even have a mustache. How are you twirling it, like (laughs) the fuck, man? Yeah, (laughs) I don't. How do you do that? Mm -hmm. How you know, and 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 the, you know what i what I said in the last episode about you know the the depiction in cyberpunk of the of the upper upper classes in this in this future. Being so removed from from day to day existence of of the you know sweating hoi polloi, uh that that they're that you know the question is how human are they now right right the extent to which the the things that you hear Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos say are so out of touch, yes and so lacking in self awareness mm-hmm. um like you don't even understand that what you're what you're advocating is indentured servitude when you're talking about you know having people sign a contract with the company in order to go to your colony on mars Mm -hmm. like we tried that that didn't end well right that that created a lot of problems like for everybody not not just the poor saps that you know, had to, had to take that option to try to build a better life, but, but it didn't even work out well for, for the upper crust in that case. Like, right. So, so we have, we have that going on and uh, corporate power has mushroomed in 2010. Uh, Citizens United ruling by the Supreme court allowed corporations to openly support political candidates and equated, money with speech so you know spending Those money to support a candidate yeah well and and legally speaking the idea of corporations being fictive persons under the law oh that's been as, since as, the 1800s has been yeah. things since forever partly because it was difficult for jurists at the time to figure out how to treat a corporate entity right but now it's like no no corporation (laughs) corporations are people my friend to Mm -hmm. to quote um what's his name uh presidential candidate mitt romney yeah to quote mitt romney corporations are people my friend again do you hear what's coming out of your mouth like
1: well it's made him a lot of money so yeah uh, well there uh, is that yes
0: um successive presidential administrations since reagan have worked to undo environmental regulations most notably the trump administration which pushed which pushed for more drilling and more coal production and consumption because corporations need to make that sweet sweet money and um by the way did i mention that uh environmental collapse was part of the background noise of cyberpunk Mm -hmm. how are you doing there yeah Um, Fox News and Alex Jones and Rush Limbaugh before them have made money hand over fist pushing anti-regulation, anti-government, pro-industry ideas. Um, you know, we, we shouldn't get in the way of corporate interests doing what they need to do because that's how the economy runs. And if the economy keeps running, we're all, we're all going to be doing better. If you get in the way of corporations doing what they want to do, if you make it hard for them to do business you know uh you're gonna lose your job right you know um and in the early days of the genre the white supremacy of you know well i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna use race baiting as a way to keep you as a as a white blue collar worker on my side wasn't part of the formula in in genre but that you know those that racial awareness is in more recent works right and you know it's it's part of the same it's it's a different part of the same beast right Mm -hmm. um and when i when i when i wrote this next note um uh developments had not yet come out uh in the in the uh Uh, Fox News trial, but Rupert Murdoch has admitted under oath that his broadcast personalities endorsed election lies in 2020 and after. Yeah. Uh, Because endorsing those election lies kept eyeballs on the screen, held onto their, their viewer base, which made them money. Right. You know, it isn't that he believes any of that shit. None of them believed any of that shit. Um, but they kept parroting it because that's what the audience wanted to hear, and that's how they kept making making the dough. And so we now have real time the epistemological question of who gets to decide what the truth is. You know, uh, going back to uh, our our talk with uh, Bryn Tannehill, talking about you know different categories of truth, right. like you know it's really it's it's happening and i didn't mention this this work uh in my list but max headroom the Mm -hmm. sadly short-lived television series from the 1980s Mm -hmm. is so cyberpunk it fucking hurts and the the main character the the protagonist there was a was a reporter and, and his whole, like all of his adventures had to do with trying to get the truth to the people when they were being fed horse shit by corporations that were trying to keep eyeballs on screens right? and trying to sell a narrative for one reason or another. Um, privately held corporations have been ruled able to ignore employment rights and anti-discrimination legislation if it impinges on, and I quote, sincerely held beliefs. So yeah, no, there are laws about that, but like, you know, if you make enough noise about, well, you know, I'm a Christian, so I believe that whatever horse shit you want to say, if you can say it convincingly enough to convince a judge, well, you don't, you don't have to follow that legislation right you can you can fire people or treat people like shit or what have you you know well because you sincerely believe that well all right what you sincerely believe is you you want to you want to maintain your bottom line you don't and you don't like those people so like whatever you you know you can get away with it and now Mm -hmm. i want to say the scary one but they're all pretty scary but private military contractors were projected by the senior defense analyst of aerospace and defense news to generate two hundred and twenty three point eight billion dollars annually.
1: That's a that's a quarter of a trillion. Yes. Yeah.
0: Two hundred and twenty three point eight billion to to exercise my inner Carl Sagan for a moment. Billions and billions, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and why is that cyberpunk? You ask. That's because these are privately held companies doing the work of state militaries. They are armed security. They do anti piracy work. They train military and paramilitary forces. So, privately paid military contractors. Mm -hmm. are being are being paid to train state militaries right um and as we speak the wagner group is sending privately hired soldiers to fight in ukraine for the russians Mm -hmm. and to make it even more dystopian um many of the, many of the soldiers that are being soldiers and air quotes that are being sent off by the Wagner group to do that are being recruited out of prisons where the option is you can stay here in a Russian prison. Right. Uh, or uh, we're going to um, tell you, we're going to pay you and, you know, we'll send you off to Ukraine with mm-hmm. basically no training and, you know, put a rifle in your hands and send you off like um and this is and this is a corporate entity that in the case of the wagner group is is very tightly uh linked hand in glove with uh you know the the putin regime but you know that's that's a more extreme case of blackwater and i don't remember what their name is anymore um who who was doing any number of different contract jobs for the U.S. government in Iraq.
1: You're talking KBR?
0: Uh, maybe.
1: So I know Blackwater was doing stuff there, but so was KBR and Halliburton. And yeah, KBR is a subsidiary know, yeah. of Halliburton.
0: Yeah, and Halliburton is a whole other case. Right. Uh, because Halliburton isn't just military contractors. Halliburton is like all kinds of support infrastructure uh, working hand in love with the Department of Defense And Halliburton was implicated in people going missing in New Orleans after the hurricane. Like Halliburton Mm -hmm. contractors showed up and people disappeared. Right. And there's, you know, open questions about whether there was human trafficking going on. And, you know, Mm -hmm. nothing, nothing concrete has been proven, but how much investigation has there been? And so we have all of these things happening around us. We have the future shock of the rapid development of the internet over the course of, of several decades we've gone from, um, I get on my computer and, Oh, Hey, I can go on my computer to shop for books to I pull out my phone and I'm immediately connected to, I can buy anything I want to from just about anyone in the world.
1: Right. And send Um, it to anyone else.
0: And send it anywhere else. Yeah. We've we've moved to a place where the workers who are involved in making that happen are having to deal with uh, active anti-union efforts being taken against them. Um, and again, corporate interests, uh, manipulating the system and stacking the deck in a way to, you know, hold on to their control.
1: Well, I'll go a couple steps further on that, too. Yeah. Um, very often those businesses get massive tax breaks that then the community has to foot the bill for yeah. on the properties that they have. do these things and then because of that the roads get destroyed
0: oh yeah shredded
1: um just i i know because i live on one um where like regularly um regularly people in in like the surrounding i don't know three three mile radius regularly complain about how their suspension is fucked up about how they're out of alignment and and on and on and on And you have an increase of delivery truck, uh, traffic. Mm -hmm. You have people who are monitored so much that like, you know, they better pee really hard when they go to the bathroom. (laughs) Also that I can get something in two hours instead of having to wait a day. Like it's goddamn ridiculous. Like, you know, I, I try really hard not to, you know, I go out and I get my own shit. You know, I don't, I don't, do yeah. that but there's plenty of people that and again since covid again we had a try we had a chance we had a chance to do yeah. things really well mm. and we decided to go the exact opposite most cyberpunk kind of way possible yep so now everybody's gotten used to home deliveries of things yeah and now it's being offered it two hours instead of you know two yeah. days
0: and there there is a segment of the population. For whom the services of, you know, uh, Uber, uh, Uber Eats and uh, Postmates and DoorDash and Mm -hmm. Amazon and, you know, delivery by grocery stores, there's a population Mm -hmm. for whom that's that's a wonderful thing. You know, people people who are uh, uh, limited in their mobility, who have right you know, immunity issues and going out in public is not feasible or safe for them. Absolutely. You know, folks, folks who are neurodivergent, who have anxiety issues, whatever there, there is an aspect of all of that that is really awesome for those people, Mm -hmm. but it's been turned into this thing that is fucking dystopian. (laughs) You know, it's, 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 it's what Gibson had to say, like all encapsulated right there. Mm hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're not going to build a, a wonderful, wonderful future. We're going to wind up taking this and finding a way to fuck people over with
1: it. Well, we already have. I mean, yeah. and again, yeah. I come back to drones could be a thing we've seen. We've seen it work. We've seen self-driving this, that, and the other. We've seen drones. There are ways to automate all this stuff. Yeah. And still pay people to. Make sixth rate podcasts, yeah, or go to school or yeah. sit on their couch and get high, or <laughs> hike or yeah. write bad poetry or play good music or whatever, yeah, everybody could still be eating and have that shit delivered um with with all the capabilities that we have of delivering stuff, yeah and or or people could just work two, three hours a day, yeah. yeah. But we're doing neither of those things uh, to our detriment as a society, to our detriment as consumers, to mm-hmm. their detriment as workers, to our detriment as neighborhoods, to yep. our detriment as uh, people who need to drive places. Yep. And also that they don't get benefits and <laughs> and so on. Like it's, it's, yeah, it's dumb.
0: Yeah. And, and so that's, that's basically that's that's it. Cyberpunk, we we so we've caught up the cyberpunk. Genre. That's yeah, we, the, that's we are, the moral here. We yeah, we're there. And yeah. now what we what we do from here mm-hmm. is up to us because we can prove Gibson right. Right. And and we can say, well, you know, whatever, I gotta get I gotta get mine. I gotta, you know, I gotta I I gotta I gotta find that score that's going to get me out of the sprawl and up onto the space station
1: Mm -hmm.
0: or, uh, we can listen to Ernest Cline and listen to the better angels of our nature and try to find a way to fix shit. Right. And, and hold on to and, and go and go from cyberpunk to hope punk. We can try to go from cyberpunk to solar punk you know, and, and, you know, find, find the solutions. Um, but where we are right now is pretty clearly we're, we're living, we're living in a, in a hideous melange of Gibson and, uh, Stevenson right now. And we kind of need to figure out what we want to do about it. Yeah. So, there we go that is that is the development of the genre and kind of why why it hasn't gone anywhere or why it hasn't gone away why we haven't moved on away from it and and the answer is because we've been moving toward it the entire time yeah
1: yeah i mean it, it's uh you know satire is getting shorter and shorter in in its lifespan
0: yes every every passing day
1: yeah so well that's bleak thank you
0: yeah well you know hey i this is my turn to to do that
1: (laughs) cool well what would you like people to well i guess uh the the what have you gleaned i think we've kind of covered like
0: yeah we kind of have i mean that's that's kind of what we've what we've been saying for the last couple of minutes now yeah yeah. we
1: we have a chance we've (sighs) had a chance and we have a chance to do things in a different and better way and we keep choosing otherwise we even had like huge crisis points that really could have galvanized us yeah and we went the other way yeah like you know we we wanted to go back to normal and like um You know, I uh, one of the things I didn't talk about in the beginning of the episode was one of the lessons my students did recently, which was on the bubonic plague in San Francisco. And essentially it's I mean, you know, I I don't mean to and yet I totally meant to. Um, They're studying now by studying history. Well, yeah, everything that happened in the bubonic plague just replaced the name with covid and it's roughly the same thing. Like, right down yeah. to the the <clears throat> dumbass arguments that people would use to m- make an illusion for themselves. So one of the things that white people in, in 1900 said was, well, the bubonic plague is clearly a, a this is their words, oriental disease. It would never okay. hurt Europeans. And I'm like, and so I asked the question, what happened in the mid-1300s that would prove that wrong?
0: um and i mean you know the theory is that the bubonic plague did start in the steppes of mongolia but yes but it didn't there's there's so much other people
1: wholesale yeah yeah, no, yeah it did in europe yeah you know killed
0: the shit out of the population of europe right
1: and so i point that out to him and then the next thing is i found a quote and somebody said um there's no way that white people could get the bubonic plague because Europeans eat meat. And the next question to the students was go to a Chinese restaurant and look at its menu. How is it organized? Like
0: I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Like my my first response is just how fucking dumb it. Like where what is the what?
1: That's self-delusion, though. And that's what I explained to students. I said, imagine thinking that. Imagine telling yourself that to the point where you believe it. And, you know, I said, or imagine saying, like, well, because my blood type is B negative, I can't get COVID. Like, imagine being that stupid about it and then not wearing a mask or coughing on people. And what I really drilled down on was when people started, like, rallying. Or I want my haircut, I want my chicken wings and all that. I said, notice they weren't saying, let's set up a system where people can come to my house and cut my hair. It was, I want other people to take risks so that I can be comfortable. Yep. And And it's not
0: even so I can be comfortable. It's so that, so that I can have my, my perks, my, my, you know, yeah.
1: And and this was after they realized that the white people of San Francisco didn't realize that there's a plague going on or a quarantine going on until they woke up that morning and didn't have breakfast ready for them because their servants hadn't shown up and cooked bra- their breakfast for them.
0: Bullshit. Really? That's
1: dead fucking serious. Dead fucking serious. It's just down the road from us. Wow. Like, yeah. Okay. And so... They're super engaged on this. So yeah, well, what I've gleaned yeah. is like looking at the history that I'm teaching and it's like, wow. It, and the kids are making the connections. Um. Yeah. Well, that's you know, always to the, good to see. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's, that's been really fun to the point where one of the students is like, you know, I noticed something the other day. I'm like, Oh, do share. He says <laughs> out of all the students on campus, the the one group that more consistently wears more masks is Asian students. Mm-hmm. I said, good, now let's unpack that. Let's look at why. And, you know, and so we start kind of getting into it. I said, now get back to studying the bubonic plague in San Francisco and take a look at what group is most affected and is most shit upon and and gets blamed for it, despite everybody wanting to deny that it exists because business and. Here's what Governor Henry Gage said. Here's what the railroad said. Here's, and mm-hmm. they're just like, you know, they're like, whoa, that's just like, mm, you have been paying attention. Good job. So yep, yeah. So anyway, Jesus. that's that's what I've gleaned.
0: All right, uh, yeah. yeah, that's that works.
1: So, what are you going to recommend to people to consume or to read?
0: Um, I'm I'm going to strong recommend um checking out uh blade runner uh 2049 Mm -hmm. um and i'm going to recommend that when you do it go into the film thinking about what we've talked about fair with 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 all of this upper in in upper mind uh, view, view the movie and, and it is, there is so much going on there. Um, yeah. So that's, that's my, that's my recommendation. What about you?
1: I'm going to recommend a couple of things. One, um, on Amazon prime, if you've got it, ironically enough, uh, <laughs> the giant, the giant beast or is it this giant beast? It's this giant beast that is the global economy. And Mm. specifically, look at episodes two and three. Episode two, are rich people dicks or do dicks get rich? Mm. And episode three, the rubber episode. So I'm going to say look at those and then go and watch The Running Man. Okay. Uh, And I think those are pretty good. And, And if you really, really want... Then watch the uh, the documentary called "The Corporation," um, but I think those tie in largely to what we've been talking about uh, with a historical flair. So yeah, that's what that I'm sounds like it. Yeah, cool. Uh, you right. don't want to be found, so where
0: can we be found? I do not want to be found. I'm hiding in a corner of the net behind all kinds of black ice. Um, we can be found. Uh, but you've already found us if you're listening. Uh, but if you want to find another avenue for locating us, uh, uh, obviously we are on the Apple podcast app and on Stitcher. You can find our website at wubba, wubba, wubba geek history uh, We are available to uh, tell, like you can tell me I'm wrong about ready player one uh, or about anything else. Uh, on Twitter at uh, Geek History Time. And what about you?
1: Uh, mostly you can find me uh, live um, and in person in Sacramento, July 7th, August 4th, and September 8th, all at Luna's in Sacramento at 8 p.m., uh, doing capital punishment, slinging puns. Uh, the show is in its seventh year um and oh, uh, that's, i know uh so that's uh that's as almost as long as the seven-year war so there you go two more years to go um but yeah <laughs> that's that's where you can find us um or you can find me rather um so for a geek history of time i'm damian harmony
0: and i'm ed blaylock and until next time keep rolling 20s